Hello and welcome back. This is Ethan. This is Jessica. And this is Crystal. And this is What's in the Name. What's in the Name. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. Might never be, gets old. <laughs> never gets old. Um, all right. So this week's intro question, y'all, um, it might be a little bit of a weird one. But I want to know if you guys are the kind of people who name their vehicles. And if yes, what is their name? So I'll go first. Um, I don't actively go out of my way to name my vehicles typically. Um, but my first car uh, was a 1998 Toyota Camry that had over 220,000 miles on it. Um, bless her soul. Uh, her name was Gretel. <laughs> the only thing bad about that car was that I honestly did not really fit into it. I feel like every time I got into that vehicle, I felt like that scene from The Incredibles where Mr. Incredible is just like crammed in his car and is so big. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, that was me every time I got in that vehicle. Loved her though. Good car. You drove a car in college though too. And I remember also feeling like you didn't really fit in it. So was that the car or is that just pretty standard? Yeah, no, that was Gretel. Any any car that is basically like not a compact SUV or larger um, is too teeny for me. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that car. I remember it was a little junk. It broke down. Mm. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you dare talk bad about Gretel. May she rest in peace. I remember you had to like scrape the windows from the inside. <laughs> yes. Yeah. When it and got I, cold. There I had to go over like speed bumps sideways or else she bottomed out. Um, <laughs> just... Yeah, there was a lot going on, but you know, she she lived a long time, had a lot of miles on her. Very nice old lady. How did she pass away? Um, I gave her away actually, so she's oh, not, okay. she might be running somewhere, but she's dead to me. So <laughs> good to know. User and abuser. Okay. Um, <laughs> I also think it's kind of weird to give a car a name, and I don't do it, but I do assign my car a gender. It's always always a female (laughs) you're like that's that's too that's too much to do i can't give it a name but i will give it a gender (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i feel like i haven't named any of my recent cars but the first car i ever got was a little red dodge neon um i loved that car i felt like it was very much in line with my personality but um anyways we just called her little red i'm not even sure if i named her that or if like automatically people were just like no this is its name um it was so cute though and then my second car was a toyota corolla (laughs) and uh we nicknamed it old faithful i don't remember why for sure but i think it's because we took it to yellowstone a bajillion times in college um and we took it there one of the trips and we're like oh my gosh we should name it old faithful uh and it really stuck so uh, those are my two cars names were those were those older cars were they like kind of pieces of junk? Um, the Dodge Neon I felt was incredibly nice, but looking back, yeah, it was definitely uh, <laughs> more of a piece of junk. But the the Corolla was nice. Oh, I interesting. Like. I just feel like in my mind, like the worse a car is, the more likely it is to have a nickname. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah come on, that. Betsy. Keep on going. You gotta <laughs> talk to it so it actually works. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. This is kind of a sidebar, and it's probably very, very strange. Um. But every time I like finish a long drive with a vehicle, I like to like thank it. <laughs> I'm like, thanks for getting me home safely. That was so kind of you. I like. I think. It, I think it's a good energy, you know, that it puts out in the universe. <laughs> 
Okay, so edit that part out. <laughs> wow, you're a hater. Um, no, those are all really good. So thank you for sharing. Um, I honestly don't know what it is about like human beings where we enjoy naming like inanimate objects that we possess. Uh, but I think it's very funny and somebody ought to look into it and we can do an episode about it or something. <laughs> Uh, so getting into this week's content, uh, we're going to be talking about self-handicapping. Uh, so I really resonated with this because I feel like I have um, like the dark triad of self-handicapping or something because I'm someone who tends to get like really, really anxious for things, about things for no reason. Um, I'm always chronically over planning um, and I'm a control freak. And um, I also have this like, lovely little thing called toxic perfectionism so when they were talking about self-handicapping and we'll dive into this a little bit more um i was like oh wow like this is this i really resonated with it um so for anyone who does not know what self-handicapping is it's when we engage in behavior that we know is going to be detrimental to our performance but we engage in it anyways so some examples are um doing things like pulling an all-nighter before we have like a really big exam or putting off preparing for a job interview until it's too late or something even as extreme as like using alcohol or drugs um, before an athletic competition. So essentially, like I mentioned, we're just engaging in behavior that's going to impede our likelihood of success so that if we do fail, we can blame that failure on those external issues rather than our own lack of competency. Does that make any sense? Yeah, like it would be easier to fail if it I'm not smart enough or because I'm not enough. Um, that's that would be really hard to swallow. So I like the idea of having something to blame it on. That does make sense. <laughs> You're like gonna use this in the opposite way that it's intended. <laughs> no, that's a great point though. And like in addition to that, if we end up um succeeding despite all of those impediments that we put ourselves through, it also on the flip side serves to bolster um, our sense of competence and confidence. Um, so when we engage in self-handicapping, we're basically just trying to create a, like a win-win situation for our self-esteem um, so that we can, so that it can come out on top either way. So we're basically saying, you know, I either failed that test because of my lack of sleep and not because I don't understand the material and therefore my confidence is not damaged. Or if we pass the test, even though we don't, didn't get any sleep, we tell ourselves, you know, like I passed that test, even though I didn't get any sleep. Um, and my confidence is, is therefore strengthened because we think something like, oh, look, I know this material so well that I passed even without enough sleep. Um, so what are some examples that you guys can think of when it comes to self-handicapping? Um, yeah, one that's relevant to me right now that I was thinking about is that lately, just for some reason, I feel like we've been super busy. Uh, we just have a lot going on. And so I think in some ways, I keep it that way on purpose. That way, if I drop the ball on something, I can just blame it on the busy schedule, rather than it being the fact that I just dropped the ball and wasn't organized, if that makes sense. Oh, 100%. So I feel like I do this with my dating. Um, but I digress with that. Uh, <laughs> wait, wait, wait! I want to hear more. Tell us more. <laughs> Just because you know how I self handicap. Um, <laughs> um, if those of you who don't know, Jessica's my therapist. I put her on retainer for a dollar a couple years ago. Uh, <laughs> cheap, cheap work. <laughs> um, 
But let's see. A good example, I guess, would be me studying Mandarin. Um, so for those of you who know, I pretend to be fluent, but I'm not. <laughs> and <laughs> I've taken several classes over the well, listen, my Mandarin would have gotten us out of China. So I mean, it's it's good <laughs> enough. Um <laughs> But like I've been taking these classes and I've been studying Mandarin for about six years now, but I'm not fluent because I take these hiatuses like, you know, every other month <laughs> where I stop for like several months and then I get back into it. And so um, like I know stopping is going to like hinder me from actually learning or like keeping what I've learned because you have to be consistent when learning a language, but Somehow I continue to go on and then pretend like I know Mandarin. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, so I'm... like maybe there's an aspect of self-handicapping with like, you're not sure if you'll ever grasp the language. So then you like keep putting it off or something like that. Yeah. But I, I pretend to know it all the time though. And <laughs> that's the, all, the, all, that's these, all, all that matters. Chinese people, they tell me I speak it good. So I mean. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, that's all that matters. <laughs> uh, I was going to ask, yeah, if, Crystal putting that she speaks uh, fluent Mandarin while interviewing with a native Chinese person is considered self-handicapping. <laughs> <laughs> She's trying to get herself to fail the interview. <laughs> I just, just like hypothetical. It's, it's all hypothetical. Of course, yeah. No, I think those are all great examples. And um, they're also really common, right? Whether it's like studying or um, like whatever it is, I think a lot of people can kind of resonate with those really common examples of self-handicapping. Um, one thing I saw that I thought was pretty interesting, um, was there was this entire article on how Loki from the Marvel Cinematic Universe was essentially the poster child for self-handicapping, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, I had never thought of it before, but the person writing the article pointed out how Loki is essentially like always doing something that, um, is sabotaging himself and the relationships that he has with other people, um, and so I just thought that was like very interesting to think it to see it in pop culture. And I just I knew I resonated with Loki for a reason, you know, just like self handicapping, sabotaging these relationships. So <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Um, another thing, too, that I thought was pretty interesting is that oftentimes self handicapping behavior is happening on a subconscious level. So, for example, if you had asked people why they were pulling an all-nighter to study for an exam. I think very few of them would say it was because of self-handicapping. Most of them would probably say it's because they're trying to get as much studying in as possible or something like that, which to be fair is probably part of the equation, but obviously not the entire equation. Yeah, for sure. Um, when I was reading up on self-handicapping, just as a side note, I thought the origins of the concept were super interesting. Um, did you get a chance to read it, like where the origins are from at all, Ethan? No, no, I'd love to hear more. Okay, so it stems from an experiment in 1978. There were two researchers that um, gave a group of college students a problem to solve. So after they solved the problem, the students received one of two types of feedback. So some students were told that they re that they solved the problem correctly because they had the proper knowledge, and other students were told that their while their answers were correct, they did it correct by accident. So, you know, in school where you were like, show your work in math, um, they, they were like, yeah, you showed your work, but like you completely got it right by accident. <laughs> um, so then afterwards, the researchers gave students the option of either 
taking a performance enhancing drug or a performance inhibiting drug before solving another problem, which was just a placebo. Um, and this is a key part. Men who were told that they solved the problem correctly by accident, they opted to take the performance inhibiting drug. Um, and they did so because they expected to get a worse score the second time since they thought the first round was just by accident. So if they took the performance inhibiting drug, they would be able to blame their poor scores on the medication instead of their lack of knowledge. Keyword again being men. <laughs> did, did, did that not happen for women? No, it was more likely for men to do it than, than women. Oh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I feel like that makes sense. You guys know I'm an MMA fighter in my spare time. I've been doing it for a couple months now. Um, I actually but, had no idea you were doing that. Is that a yeah. new thing? Yeah, uh, for like three, three or four months I've been doing it. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah, she's about as professional in MMA as she is fluent in Mandarin. <laughs> she's like, as everyone knows, I'm an MMA fighter, also an EMT. Also, I sell life insurance. Okay, never an M- <laughs> I was never an EMT. I went to the police academy. Uh, Crystal, you should fight Jake Paul. <laughs> you guys don't hate me because I'm a professional in all aspects. Um, <laughs> anyway, sorry, totally derailed your story. <laughs> but no that, that's something that we are taught a lot um or like that goes on a lot at the gym like you don't fight or even train um prior to a, a fight um so if you have a fight the next day or two days away like you won't be training or anything at all because it's going to um prevent you from being able to to do well and some like we would have some people like we had this girl at the gym who would um, fight or train. And I'm convinced now that I know this term, it's because she knew she was going to lose her fight and she could blame it on um, training. <laughs> oh, interesting. Okay. So they say like, don't train the night before because you need to rest up or whatever. Yeah. And so um, that you don't injure yourself. Oh, I hurt myself at practice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Um, <laughs> speaking of MMA, this is a, this is a totally side note story. Do you remember that time, Crystal, when we went, when we went to that <laughs> Krav Maga class, that like free community Krav Maga class, and then they made us spar each other, and then I accidentally kicked you so hard in the stomach that you threw up? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. You're a monster. <laughs> it was oh an gosh, accident, though. Man. It was an accident. I don't, yeah, it was Crystal's fault. <laughs> no, he's, afterwards, he's like, I'm a strong man. <laughs> That is not true. I felt so bad afterwards, but thinking back on it, I'm like, that was kind of funny. But also, I'm glad you didn't get hurt. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Um, Okay, so it's basically clear, though, that self-handicapping is not a great hobby to have, right? Are we on the same page with that? Yes, definitely. Taking away the correct message so far. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So did you see anything about ways to overcome self-handicapping in your reading, Ethan? Yeah, for sure. So there's a lot of really good research and advice out there. Uh, It's been studied uh, pretty well. So I feel like just like all of the other terms that we talk about on this podcast, I think awareness is a really good first step. Just being aware of what self-handicapping is, I think is a great leap forward for a lot of people. Um, So to all of our fans, you're super welcome. We're just out here, you know, 
doing great things for you. <laughs> um, but there's this great article in the Harvard Business Review that I read that actually dives into four ways to counteract self-handicapping. So I kind of wanted to go over those uh, with you guys just to give people um, some ideas of like how to how to go against it. Sure. So the, the first one is to just watch for warning signs. So like we already mentioned, just being aware of our tendency to self-handicap, especially on a subconscious level, can help us spot behaviors that are manifesting themselves and then stop that self-handicapping. So warning signs can be things like procrastinating, um, distracting ourselves with other unimportant or unrelated activities, generating a list of excuses for why we're going to fail ahead of time and different things like that. Um, so can you guys think of any other like common warning signs that maybe you have seen when it comes to self-handicapping? Um, for me, I think it's splitting your focus, which is the one I tend to do a lot. Like, um, I guess like when you're trying to multitask when you are studying um, can cause you to either not pay attention or to just completely stop what you're doing and focus on something else. Common for me is either watching TV or listening to music when I study, which I, in, my, in my mind, I'm like, it's going to help me stay forward. But what a lot of times happens is my mind wanders to the TV or I'm like, oh, humming along to the song and I'm not actually paying attention to what I'm reading. And it just, you know, I spend two hours studying, but not really learning. <laughs> yeah, quote unquote studying. <laughs> no, that's good. Um, the uh, The second one is flip the thinking on its head. So if we identify the thinking that is driving our self-handicapping, then we can just turn that logic on its head um, to motivate us instead of handicap us. So for example, if someone realizes that they are self-handicapping and not preparing for a job interview because they don't think they do very well in interviews, then if they just flip that logic, they can say, if I work on my interviewing skills, then I'll do good at this interview. And so then that helps motivate them to practice rather than demotivate them to not practice by saying, oh, I'm not good at interviewing, so I'm not going to do, be, do good in this interview. So that reminds me of something about growth mindset. So my mission president actually told me about this because I was very stuck in my ways. And um, he was basically like, you need to do such and such. And I'm like, this is who I am. This is, this is me. And he's like, well, it's never too late to change. Um, but like with the growth mindset, basically it's that you believe that your talents aren't fixed or your ideas or whatever it is that you hold isn't fixed, that it's fluent. You're able to develop and change, you know, each day or with practice or if you put forth the effort. Um, so people with growth mindsets um, focus on the bigger picture and they're able to move forward with that, I feel like. Yeah, I think that's a great example of flipping thinking on its head where we're going from a fixed mindset of like, oh, I'm not good at this thing. I'm never going to be good at it. So I'm not even going to try and I'm going to handicap myself to, you know, I think I could be good at this if I maybe put in some more effort or um, like tried to sharpen that skill or, or whatever. I think that's a really good example of that, uh, of that flipping the thinking on its head. Uh, so then the third one that the article talks about is finding healthy ways to manage um, negative emotions. So this article says that the reason we even engage in self-handicapping in the first place is because we have some kind of negative emotion that we're dealing with at some level. 
And so if we find other healthier ways to handle those negative emotions, we oftentimes will just circumvent any issue with self-handicapping at all. So how do you guys feel like you deal with negative emotions or how have you seen people deal with negative emotions in a healthy way? Yeah, well, so first of all, many therapists would probably say that there's no such thing as negative emotions in certain types of like therapeutic modalities. You're really careful not to label as emotions as negative or positive. There's definitely difficult emotions, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're negative. So sometimes by labeling them as negative, it can be invalidating or make you feel like you shouldn't be feeling what you're feeling. Um, so hopefully that's not a no at all therapist answer. But to answer your question about what I do with more difficult emotions, um, the answer is cry and <laughs> go from there. That's how you handle your uh, difficult emotions? Yes, exactly. <laughs> hey, sometimes a good cry is all it takes. <laughs> no, I'm actually, I'm glad you're bringing that up because I had the same thought when I was reading that article. I was like, I don't know how productive it is if we're naming an emotion and labeling it as negative. Um, because sometimes you can't really control the emotions that you feel. And so you shouldn't feel guilt or shame for feeling a certain emotion. Obviously, there's a different conversation to be had when you're talking about how you then handle those emotions and what you do to handle that. But yeah, I think the the emotion itself is neither good or bad. Um, so yeah, I like that. I, what you do with it. Yeah, I like I like that idea of naming it like a difficult emotion or something something less judgmental. Yeah. I love it. This whole little segment reminds me of Inside Out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Good movie. But for me, I I write poetry. um, So really sad or angry poetry to get my like thoughts out and get cleared. Um, Or I listen to really somber music and do like Jessica and cry. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. New podcast where all we do is listen to sad music and cry. (laughs) Dude, Simple Plan, Untitled, saddest song there ever was. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Um, All right. So then the last one that this article talks about is just acknowledging incremental progress. Um, So we talked about this a little bit already, but regardless of how much we prepare for something, we're all occasionally going to fall short and we're going to eventually fail. Um, However, failure should not stop us from getting better. And so if we can change our mentality and celebrate those small wins and those small improvements, it really helps define our relationship with things um, that we are like nervous about or that we're trying to avoid. So kind of going back to what you said, Crystal, earlier about that growth mindset and just acknowledging when we are growing in areas that are hard for us. All right. So now that we've chatted a bit about self-handicapping and how to overcome it, I want to know your guys' one sentence takeaways. Um, so I would say self-handicapping isn't always on purpose, but we need to plan to prevent it. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, yeah, I would just say that I want to be cautious of letting my ego be the thing that drives my decision. So just having an awareness of my motivations for why I'm making the self-defeating decision I'm about to make. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Yeah, I feel like I do so much better when I get into the habit of just slowing down, taking a couple steps back, maybe taking some deep breaths in and out, and just evaluating my actions and my reasons behind why I'm doing them. So the next time I find myself feeling nervous about something, um, I want that to be a cue for me to take a step back and ask myself how I'm dealing with that nervousness and why. Mm. 
Sorry, that was longer than a one sentence takeaway. But uh, as the host, you get unlimited sentences. So that's just the rule. Um, all right. So as always, thank you both for another great podcast. I thought that was a pretty interesting topic. So I appreciate your guys's input. Um, Crystal, you are up as our host for next week. So what can the people look forward to um, to learning more about? Yes. So we'll be talking about the Diderot effect. So loosely, you buy something that spiral into buying uh, like more stuff. You go in a little frenzy. Um, another economics topic, I guess. <laughs> Very nice. I'm just excited to be able to say Diderot effect over and over again. It sounds like a very fun word. (laughs) (laughs) That's very true. I'm excited to talk about it a little bit more next week. And I'm sure our listeners are excited to learn more about it. So uh, we will see you all until next time. Ditto. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye.